You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wise, Sherry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, J.T. Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm super excited to have Sophie Cousins on the show with me. She has an amazing new book. It's called Just Haven't Met You Yet. And what a fun, fun read this book is. You know, sometimes you just you just need to take a break from from all of the uh uh, you know, the dire news of the world and and just, you know, fall, you know, in, in love with some characters that, that you just have a great time with and, and just haven't met you yet is one of those books and the perfect gift for that special someone on your uh, gift giving list this year. Uh, Sophie, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show today. Welcome. Oh, thanks so much for having me on, Hanks. Lovely to be here. I'm excited to have you. Um. Sophie, we begin each show with the same question, and that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? My first memory, I think, when I was very little, I used to do these plays for my little brother. He was like my first audience, and we'd kind of clear the bed, and we'd have like teddy bears, and I would make a story for him and he was such a kind of eager listener and I think that was the point at which I fell in love with telling stories and seeing the effect that you could have on somebody else with your with your storytelling so that was definitely the beginning I love that um Sophie you know there there's an interesting thing that happens with uh with storytellers and and that's that you know you kind of know deep down inside that that there'll be books that that come um you know out of you and and that you'll tell stories that that make it out to the world uh but m- for most of us there you know are things that that get in the way of that and and you know earning a living and starting a family and things like that and then writing has a way of coming back around to us um wh- what have you been doing before you began writing full time what were you doing professionally so it's interesting you say that, yeah, because I was a television producer for 12 years. That was my kind of main career out of university, which it was, again, was a creative industry, but a kind of different art form. And But in the back of my mind, I was always thinking about writing and I was always trying to, you know, do little projects here and there. I always had a book on the go. Um, but yeah, it's only since I left TV that I really have the time to commit um, to getting a book finished and uh, yeah, sent out into the world. So you've uh, you worked for uh, for a number of years in in TV production. Um, what led you to to working in in that field? So now that is a whole can, that's a whole can of worms. So actually, I was on. I don't know if you guys had a dating show in the US called Blind Date. Um, but this was a big thing in like you know two thousand. Um, in the UK. And it was like a show, a dating show where you would have a guy and he had 
three girls that he couldn't see and he had to ask some questions and then pick one. And when I was at university, I went as a contestant on this show and that was my first experience of like TV production behind the scenes. And I saw what a producer did and I saw what a researcher did. And I also saw that like, hey, hang on a minute, people get paid to just talk to people about dating and go on holiday. This seems like a really, really good job. I want to do that. <laughs> so that, yeah, being on a show is what gave me the first kind of instinct that it looked like a fun industry to work in we do have a show or we have had a show like that here in the u.s i think it was called the dating game um but yeah that where you're interviewing people behind a, a barrier of some sort yes and, that's exactly what it was yeah so, so i'm assuming that true love was was matched and you lived happily ever after Oh, yeah. No, yeah. That would have been a great story. No, to be fair, I did actually go out with the guy. It was all quite like a happy, you know, he was a lovely guy. We went on holiday to Texas. We got the dream holiday of the series. And I'm still friends with him today. So, yeah, in some ways it was like a, it was a really good experience. But, yeah, sadly, I'm not married to him. That's, that's so so you know from seeing what a producer does, how, how do you then get involved in the industry on the, uh, you know, it, working in the industry and, and, you know, kind of making that television magic happen. It's a really tough industry to get into. And I think that lots of people find that when they start. Um, I started, I was a receptionist at a um, company called Talkback Thames. And then from there, you kind of make the right people coffee and you, you know, ingratiate yourself with the right people. And then they'll hopefully let you make coffee for them <laughs> on a different show. So yeah, there's a lot of making coffee. There's a lot of kind of grunt work. And then you just gradually kind of claw your way up the ladder. It's a real learn on the job kind of um career because you only really learn how to be a researcher or an assistant producer by kind of watching other people do it and that's part of what I loved about it as well it's just sort of learning on the job seeing seeing what other people were doing but it's it's it is a really hard industry because you're self-employed you know you've only got short contracts and you know there's a lot of people that kind of drop out at some point because it's just not sustainable with um you know paying bills <laughs> right so you've um you were involved in in some some great shows the graham norton show um russell howard's good news big brother um when people talk about giving advice for new writers they always say well uh if you want to be a writer you need to read a lot and you need to write a lot and you know you need to kind of see how other people have done it and then work out those those muscles for yourself um i like to add a third uh piece to that and that's to to interact with a lot of people you know listen to how people talk listen to to dialogue in real life and and see what the back and forth between people is like and you can learn so much i would imagine working on shows like the graham norton show and and things like that did along the way did you did you realize that you were maybe picking up things that would help you in your later career? Yeah, it's interesting because I yeah, I loved working on shows like that. And someone like Graham is a very interesting person to observe because he's so funny, but in a very like quick witted, natural way. Lots of the things he kind of comes up with when he's interviewing guests are really off the cuff. You know, whereas other comedians, they really pour over their jokes. They kind of, you know, sit with them on paper and they kind of craft them and mold them. And it made me see that there's a lot of different ways to be funny and there's a different different ways to kind of hone your craft, I suppose. But it also made me think, yeah, but 
someone like Graham Norton just is just a funny guy and you can't rep, you know, you, there's, there's some things you can't teach and you can't learn. You just have it or you don't have it. Um, but no, but yeah, I definitely think it taught me a lot about sort of structure and um, writing discipline and, you know, and seeing that a lot of comedians is just a lot. It's like a, a swan that looks like it's gliding along the water, but it's got fiercely paddling feet underneath you know nothing in comedy is easy you know there's a lot usually a lot behind the scenes right so um sophie one day you're working in television um you know at some point you get the idea to write your first novel um what was the kind of what was the the um the impetus that that got you thinking about writing a book you know that it 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 never um it fails to surprise me that you know that the way writing has a way of coming back around into people's lives. What what was it that got you thinking about um, this time next year, or or was that even the first book that you wrote? So that's a good question because I do think genre is so important as well. When you want to be a writer, I think you've got to find the right genre for you. And actually, the first book I wrote when I was in my twenties and I was working in TV, I wrote a young adult sci-fi novel which I completely loved, but I sent off to about 20 agents and got rejected by 20 agents. And then I kind of tried writing, yeah, various other slightly kind of cross genre, or I didn't really know what genre it was. I, I didn't, I wasn't hugely experienced about knowing about literary genres. And then I wrote a book about working in television, which was obviously based on my own experience. Um, and that was published as, as an ebook. I won a competition to get that as a, published as an ebook. And that got me my agent. And she was the one who helped me decide. She said, you know, with your voice, I just really think you'd be suited to rom-coms. So that's how it kind of evolved. And now I kind of feel, of course, it's suited to rom-coms. Why wasn't I doing, why was I trying to do like science fiction on other planets? But <laughs> I might come back to that one day. Well, it's I, and I think that it's it's funny um, that we have such varied interests uh, in life. Uh, you know, I can watch a science fiction movie. I can watch a rom com with my wife. Um, I can uh, I can watch you know in historical fiction, and and I love all of those. And um, but you know when when we think about writers, we, we tend to pigeonhole them into one thing, like, like the yes. writer doesn't have varied interest, you know? Um, how do you feel about, you know, like where we kind of file people into, uh, and, and I understand, you know, bookstores are segmented so that you can easily find things that you're looking for. I get all that. Um, but what do you think about the way that we kind of pigeonhole people in one thing or another? Yeah, it's interesting. I find it difficult. I understand why books need to be kind of branded or so people know what they're getting. But actually, I'd say the best books I've read of the last few years have been quite sort of either cross genre or they just don't they don't even fit into a genre. And they've been a real like risk for the publisher, I would say, because they don't neatly fit into a pigeonhole. But for me, those are the most exciting books because I'm just like, I don't know what this is. I don't know what I'm reading. I don't know where it's going. But as long as I like the character and the writing style, I'm invested and I will go on that journey. Um, and for me, I think, you know, sometimes, you know, rom-coms get a bad rap for being predictable or people know kind of the tropes that are going to be in there. But but equally, that's what people love about them. People do like to know what they're getting when they pick up a rom-com. They, they want to know how they're going to feel. You know, they don't suddenly want like nuclear apocalypse to happen in the middle of a novel. <laughs> um, 
but I don't know for me that would be a fun thing to write that's what I would like to <laughs> I would like to write let's mess with the endings <laughs> I, I completely understand that sentiment um so so an industry person tells you you know I think your voice would be very well suited to rom-coms how do you then start thinking about um you know how you're going to go about that like you know one minute they say you know I think that you would be good at this and you know that that first novel doesn't exist uh, in any sense, and then you know you start thinking about characters. Do you start thinking about a situation that might lend itself to, uh, you know, to to this sort of plot? Or how does that begin for you? So I think so. This time next year, again, it's a very like clear setup. It's about a man and a woman who are born in the same hospital on the same day, just one minute apart. And again, like like just haven't met you yet. I like this idea of kind of people thrown together in an unlikely situation and you know this this couple who were kind of linked by birth and they kind of keep they run into each other again on their 30th birthday and they remember each other they 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 work out that they were born in the same hospital and they kind of compare how their lives have kind of turned out so I think I'm quite good at thinking of those kind of jumping off points. We had I had to do that a lot in TV it was always like right what's the top line pitch like what's the setup what's interesting and I think then from there, though, it, it, there was a certain naivety I had when I wrote this time next year because I didn't know a huge amount about the genre. I didn't know a lot about the tropes involved and like the expectations of romance readers. So I just wrote it very naively, thinking of the kind of stories that I like to watch, very heavily influenced by rom-com films, I think. And I think what's hard now is that I've become a lot more knowledgeable about the genre I've read a lot more widely I know what's out there and it can be a little bit paralyzing because you realize you realize what's been done before you realize what people might like or not like you realize kind of that 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 you are like in this his, you're, you're you're in a kind of history of a genre and that can be a bit intimidating dabble is a proud sponsor of author stories Dabble is an easy-to-use cloud-based writing tool that gives writers a way to organize, plot, and create amazing stories wherever they are. Write in our desktop app, on your Mac or Windows computer, tablet, or mobile device. Dabble syncs your latest version with the cloud on all your devices. Write anywhere and anytime inspiration strikes. We got you. Dabble is my preferred writing tool, and I think it will be yours as well. Visit DabbleWriter.com for your free trial. You have an amazing story idea. You execute the writing and editing flawlessly, and now the only thing missing are readers. We can help you go from author to author superhero with Story Origin. Story Origin is a one-stop shop for marketing tools with a community of amazing authors working together to find reviewers, build mailing lists, increase sales, and collect feedback from beta readers. Everything an author needs, all in one place from providing review copies or beta copies, reader magnets to ensure you stay connected with readers, easily distribute audio promo codes, universal retail links to send readers directly to the proper point of purchase, or provide direct download links for members of your mailing list. Story Origin has all the tools you need in one easy-to-use site. Use the promo code ASP21 at checkout when subscribing to the yearly plan, and you will get 10% off your first year. 
This code will expire December 31st, so hurry over and subscribe now. Storyoriginapp.com So, um, you know, when you when you first started writing that first book, and, and you'd not written in this genre before, um, did did it did it go well for you? Um, you know, how easy was it to, you know, when when you kind of settled on that to to get the story out? And and were there ever any any moments of uh, you know, doubt? And you know, am am I really suited for this? You know, what was the experience like? I think so. I didn't make it easy for myself with this time next year because um, it's structurally quite a um, kind of unique novel because it spans the course of a year. It starts on New Year's Eve. It ends on New Year's Eve. And then throughout the novel, there's all these flashbacks to New Year's Eves of the past, which kind of show light on why the characters are like they are and kind of how they act in the way that they do. Um, And it's, you know, it's all themed about the expectations of new year and resolutions. And so I really liked that side of it, but I was kind of making it hard for myself because I knew that the story had to span the length of a year. And that was hard because I did kind of get to halfway through and think, well, kind of feels natural that they might get together by now, but I've got six months to go and, you know, had to kind of, think of a few more obstacles. Um, But yeah, other than that, I think it was, for me, it's always character based. So once you've got the characters, it's just interesting to be like, what would they do now? What what, what terrible thing could I put in their way that's going to stop them getting their happily ever after? And then let's do that. (laughs) So yeah. Do do you consider yourself a a pantser or a plotter in your uh, in your writing style? Definitely a pantser, but I'm now really realizing how li- like much time is wasted from being a pantser. Because for me, <laughs> the fun of it is like I, I read Stephen King, I know, is a famous pantser. And he talks about, you know, he has the setup, he has the characters, and then he just goes on the journey with them. And that's kind of part of the fun of it for him. And I completely that really kind of resonated with me because I love to write and not know where it's going, because then that's where some of the weird, quirky kind of ideas just jump at you as you're writing but that also does make it hard because you can end up kind of going off on a tangent or not you know having to go back and fix stuff or rewrite in you know subplots and themes so yeah maybe I would like to become a planner that's that's my aim going forward is to evolve into a planner so um from this time next year, um, to the new book that's out now um, is just haven't met you yet. What what was the the initial setup that that got the wheels turning for you on this book? So that was definitely so. You know, the, I I wanted to set the book in in Jersey. I had this suitcase idea. So that for me was the jumping off point of you know what if you picked up the wrong suitcase at an airport and fell in love with the contents. And then I think it was about the character evolution. So, you know, once I'd put Laura in that situation where she'd picked up the wrong case and she'd found these contents that she just decided, right, this guy has to be my dream man. He's like reading my favorite book. He's got music by my favorite musician. He's got the kind of perfect jumper that I'm completely obsessed with. That was the starting point. And then she goes on this adventure around the island. And she's she's in Jersey because she's writing the history of her how her parents met. Um, they had this amazing romance story. And so she's kind of retracing their footsteps. So it's then interweaving these two storylines of kind of her looking for the suitcase owner, but also her kind of looking for her parents' story and uncovering a little bit about herself on the way. I love that idea of... Uh finding an object and then falling in love 
with the the things inside that that suitcase um you know and not even the person or you know falling in love with what you think the person is um that i i would think that when you thought of that idea that had to feel like you just stumbled on gold yes definitely because also i think i mean there's so many ways this could go as well. Like that's that could be the beginning of a million love stories. That's what I think is interesting. You know, I could write the same book again of a different suitcase in a different land with a different character. And that really kind of excited me. I thought, oh, maybe I could do a whole series of suitcase stories. But yeah, I don't know if that's going to happen. But yeah, so once I'd kind of had that idea, I, I, Laura, my heroine, she's very, she puts a lot of emotion into objects. You know, I think some people would open a case and see this and go, I've opened the wrong case, I have no interest in what was inside. Whereas I think for her, you know, she has sadly lost both her parents and she puts a lot of stock in objects, you know, that her parents have given her because for her, that's how she holds on to the memory of them, of, of what they liked and stories they told her. So she is the kind of right person to pick up this case and to invest a lot in it and to create a narrative around this man that she hasn't met yet and what he might be like based on the objects he's carrying. Laura is such a great protagonist um, and, and just haven't met you yet. When I know you said you're you're a pantser, but when you begin writing, when you began writing this story, how much did you know about Laura? Um, are you the kind of writer that kind of knows your characters before you start, or are you discovering them as much as you're discovering their adventure as you as you write it? very much discovering her as, as she goes along. And and that's what I love about writing as well, is I kind of, the story decides for me what the themes are going to be. All I knew with this one is I wanted it to be obviously about a girl who picks up a suitcase and falls in love with the contents. But then it got me thinking, like, what kind of person would do that? And then I thought, you know, maybe it was someone who'd lost parents or someone close to them and has a lot of attachment to objects. And then that kind of started me thinking about Laura as someone who was still dealing with quite a lot of unresolved grief about her mother's death. And again, I never set out to write a book about grief. It's quite a heavy topic. But that is something that kind of came with Laura as I was writing her on the page and is one of the things that I'm kind of most proud of, I think, in this novel thematically in terms of, you know, dealing with with grief and how it can affect how you live and how you process kind of stories and yeah, how you carry on with your life after a huge, huge um, loss. You said that Laura is tracing um, her parents' love story in, in the beginning, and then, you know, she discovers this this uh, suitcase. Um, how much of her parents' love story is she projecting on this thing that she found? Like, what does that tell us about her, the way that she responds to this found object? Yes, so she is, because she's come to Jersey to write her parents' story, her parents had the most incredible love story. They met when they found two halves of the same coin that had this engraving on. It was like a love token from the Second World War. And they met up to reunite the pieces and they fell in love. And Laura's been told this story from when she was a little girl. And it sort of got kind of, it's really on a pedestal for her of like the absolute height of like romance. And so I think that has given her quite an unrealistic expectations about kind of what meet cutes and should be. Um, but then as the story goes on, she kind of understands a little bit more about her parents' story and uncovers some truths that maybe weren't in the original telling. So a lot of it is about mythology and stories with, that we're told and how they kind of 
might not necessarily always be the truth um because we all have that in family right we always have we always have like family legends or family stories that get kind of slightly tailor-made as, as they get handed down the the narrative in this book is is really interesting it's first person present tense um we're right uh, in on on the action as it's unfolding was was that something that you set out to do uh you know when you began the novel Yes, I did. And I really enjoyed doing first person, actually, because you can I, 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 Laura is a bit of a nuts character, but in a completely lovable way, I think. But she is a bit nuts. And I think what's fun about a nuts protagonist is slightly hearing that in a monologue as you're going along. And she kind of she being first person, you can kind of hear her thought process about exactly why she's doing something. And for me, that was part of the fun of being with her on this journey. You know she's being a little bit crazy, but you kind of invested and you're going to go with her. Whereas I think third person, it's a little bit more literary. It's a bit more kind of removed. But yeah, you don't get that real immediacy of of kind of being right there in the character's head. Well, and and writing from the different perspectives is uh, is a different experience because I've written things that are that are third person or maybe first person past tense, and and you feel. Um, disconnected in a way that you feel like an observer but writing in that first person voice it's almost like you you're discovering the story along with the reader as you go um there there's not a um it it almost feels like um that there's not a lot of planning that because you're experiencing it as you're writing it um that what was that experience like for you well it's interesting because i do think that sometimes I had a, I had a struggle with Laura because I think also when you've got a first person character and every chapter is from their point of view um you know you're with them a lot so you've really got to like them and yeah. I think Laura might be the kind of character some people would find like maybe a little bit too much but I think in general you're invested and you're with her and that did take me a little bit of time I had to kind of you know make sure she was coming from a good place. I had to put good friends around her. I had to kind of give her enough character characteristics that you feel like you'll forgive her some of the slightly more naive actions that she might take. Do you ever find yourself, um, because you said that, you know, the character of Laura can, can feel like a, like a lot for, for some people. And, uh, do you ever find yourself, um, you know, writing a passage and going, oh, that's, you know, uh, I, I need to kind of dial that back. Do, do you find yourself um, kind of uh, editing characters as you go? Or are you the kind of person that, you know, you get through a draft and then then look back at it and say, OK, l- let me see how I can tighten this up. How, how much editing is going on in the writing? Yeah, there's a, I think one of the major, because I'm a pantser, a bit, there's a big edit that happens at the end of the first draft where I have to kind of go back and rewrite characters entirely. The, the character of, um, I'm not going to say who he is because it's, it's a bit of a spoiler, but one of the major male characters I completely rewrote when I got to the end of the book because I just didn't think he was likable enough and I think he needed to be really likable for the story to work. Um, and he just hadn't come out as very likable in the first writing. That's just how he kind of presented himself. So, yeah, I do do a lot of editing. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting from a kind of do I kind of tone things back? Interestingly, not because I also think that writing these kind of books, like you are going to get people who 
just love it and get it and completely get my sense of humor and you know just love these books but you're also going to get people who who don't and who you know who who say ah it was a bit too much for me and uh, I didn't really like her but I'd rather that you know I would rather people have a strong feeling than just be meh three stars you know I'd rather get all five stars and one stars than meh three stars <laughs> <laughs> yeah there, there's something about people that just uh, you know ah, I could take it or leave it yeah know, that's, that's the worst that's the worst when yeah. people are like oh I didn't I just didn't really like her I'd rather people like I hated her she was so annoying and then other people be like oh my god she's so me I loved her I, I want that strength of feeling for sure I don't want bland beige main characters um, I've seen a couple places that um, that have said um, that just haven't met you yet is is a perfect um, book for for the holiday season. And it's not a, a you wouldn't think of it as a holiday book. Um, but is, is there something about a book that makes it um, you feel like that the, this time of year is its place? A hundred percent, because I think that this book, you know, she's going on a work trip. It's set in kind of September, but it's still that sense of like you're getting away from it all. You're going to the beach. She's meeting new people. She's on an adventure. And I think as the evenings get colder and the winter draws in, A, you just want to snuggle up with a book and jump into a different world that is not yours um, but also you want to go on that adventure with that person and you want to feel like you're going to a new island and exploring new places and food and traditions and yeah I think there's no better time to go on a little escapist read than in autumn absolutely absolutely or fall um, sorry fall you guys call it <laughs> yeah well you know that's they're interchangeable we'll, we'll <laughs> go with we'll go with that um so Sophie, what what are you working on next? Do you know that you you've kind of really carved out a niche for for where you fit uh, here? If readers are really responding to it. Um, if we know anything about publishing, just haven't met you yet has probably been off of your desk for the better part of a year. Um, what are you working on now? I am working on yeah my third book. It is all I can't really tell you too much, but it is all about a wedding that goes disastrously wrong. So I'm having lots of fun, yeah, thinking about the terrible things that might happen when you're trying to get married. <laughs> <laughs> well, th that'll definitely be a story that resonates with lots and lots of readers, I know. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Just Haven't Met You Yet is available everywhere now in Kindle edition or paperback. Um, I have the paperback right here beside my desk, and it's uh, it, it's it's great gift size for this year. That's uh, I'll, I'll just put it that way when uh, <laughs> slipping someone's stocking. Um, also, it's available in audiobook. Have you listened to the audiobook yet, Sophie? I have. And you know what? I've been blown away by the audiobook because I think actually first person present is a really hard book to read because it, there's a lot of kind of um, unconscious thoughts that just kind of go on and on. And Charlotte Beaumont, who reads this, is so brilliant I found myself listening to it laughing at my own jokes which is really embarrassing but only because her delivery is so excellent um, so yeah I really recommend the audiobook I think it's 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 the perfect kind of book to listen to because you're just literally in her head the whole time you're right in that this type of narrative is is a, a difficult to, to pull off an audiobook sometimes um, because it, it feels so immediate um, but when done right it's the perfect listening experience for sure. 
Just Haven't Met You Yet is available everywhere now. We're going to have links to it in the show notes of this episode. Sophie, uh, if people are just discovering you, is there a place where they can connect with you online? They can. They can jump onto my website, which is sophiecousins.com. Or best place to find me is on Instagram. I'm at Sophie underscore cousins with an E. Um, So, yeah, reach out, connect. Tell me how you like the book. Fantastic. We'll put links to it in the show notes to make it easy for folks to find you. Sophie, this has been so much fun chatting. Thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. Thanks, Hank. I really enjoyed talking to you. Now stay tuned for an audiobook excerpt from Richard Glebe's The Jason Crane Series. What in the name of Carl Sagan was he doing in the cemetery on Halloween? What was he thinking? He whirled, expecting the headless horseman himself to be waiting on the road ahead. Or was he lurking behind? He wanted to run, but now the bridge ahead worried him. Doesn't the horseman haunt bridges? Could he avoid crossing it somehow? It terrified him. Why? It was just a stupid bridge. The gloom beneath could have been the lair of a troll. Billy Goat's Gruff. Mama used to read that. The troll waits beneath for the fattest, sweetest goat. Jason thought he saw something on the far end of the bridge. A shape of some sort. He stepped onto the bridge and gripped the knotty railing. He felt the ground drop away beneath as he edged forward. His eyes remained on the shape. It's nothing. It's nothing. Is it nothing? No troll attacked him as he reached the other shore. The looming shape was only a stupid stairwell opposite the bridge that climbed up the hill and into the main cemetery. He turned left and ran, admitting defeat and letting the fear take him over. He ran southward down the long, dark road. His initial burst of adrenaline ran its course and he slowed, then walked again, limping a little. Headstones slipped past on the right. He still had enough light that he caught his reflection occasionally in the polished stone. He looked very young and very thin. He could feel his vulnerability as he walked along. He grew aware of his own body, the touch of his starchy dress shirt and his jacket and the soft weight of his backpack. He saw himself reflected in the headstones, just a container of warm fluids, flimsy work for a blade or a hoof or a sword. He felt shatterable and transient, and his next breath was not guaranteed, oh no. The leaves made a faint oceanic rustle all around. The insects sang their three-note songs. Jason Crane, Jason Crane, Jason Crane. Jason sang a wretched pop song as he walked, something about having no self-control and no bitches and not enough money. He sang it softly, absent-mindedly, as if reciting a psalm. He passed Reese, Finnerton, Bain, Ekdal, Forest, Black, Small. There, he saw the gate at the end of the road. But the gate would be locked, he remembered. He would have to climb the embankment and cross over the churchyard. He could see the spire of the church above and the weather vane spinning against the sky. He would rather climb this gate than face that churchyard, but the spikes on top made leaping the fence impossible. Okay, just be quick. Something caught his ear, a brittle, clipping sound. He scanned the crest above and saw a horse silhouetted among the graves. It looked to be tied to a branch of the locust tree. He had heard its hooves as it shifted from foot to foot. It rustled somehow. His breath caught. 
He forced himself to be calm and rational. Some Halloween thing, maybe, for some event? He found the stairs and ascended, sideways, ready to bolt if necessary. He watched the horse, but when he neared the top he saw the rider, standing upon the shallow depression of the horseman's grave. The figure was motionless, a dim shape that absorbed light and gave nothing back. He could make out the shape of the boots and the legs and two arms held away from the body, palms down. Just a man? But the cape of the thing was not normal. It contorted painfully, twisting in the air even though the wind wasn't blowing. It wrung itself and billowed and whipped slowly, as if the figure wore a wave torn from a black ocean. And above its shoulders, is he headless? Is he headless?